Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we discuss feminist issues in music and pop culture, all while empowering fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. How's everyone been? I feel like we haven't had like a proper episode in a minute. I miss <laughs> you guys. Hope everyone's doing well now that we're almost at the end of the year. I know. And speaking of the end of the year, we are prepping for 2023. So if you guys have any topics that we still haven't hit somehow in the last two years of this podcast and us all being besties, come let us know over the holidays because we would love to hear from you. So that means that for the month of November and the month of December, we're just putting out one episode each. That way we can have some time off for the holidays and also prep for 2023. So if you're Looking at your podcast feed, wondering why we're not bi-weekly, that's why. But we will be back in your feeds 2023 with some new content, baby. Yes. And if you miss extra content from us during the holiday season while we're doing this wonky little schedule to get our heads in place for being the best podcast we possibly can be for the new year and just trying to be normal humans. We do have some fun bonus episodes over on our Patreon, um, our Music Meltdown, most recent one that we did. We talked about the Kit Connor situation with fans essentially forcing him out of the closet. We had my favorite discussion, which is that nobody owes you their sexuality, no matter who they are or how annoying it might be that you don't know who they're fucking. And that a singular human being cannot queerbait. Queerbaiting is a marketing tactic used by companies, and a singular person cannot do that. And if you're confused about anything as Sarah is saying right now, you can hear all of the explanation over at patreon.com slash name three songs. Individuals not being able to queer bait is definitely the hill that Sarah will die on. A hundred percent. I am very passionate about yelling about this fact. It's I think it's a really necessary conversation, especially when it's the calling out of people doing this really negatively affects them as we've seen. Literally even uh Emily Carey who plays young Alicent Hightower from the new Game of Thrones series, like sh- she's queer. She goes by she they pronouns and people were calling them out for her inner lesbian coming out in her character like portrayal of Alicent even though the showrunners of the show were like yeah no we wanted them to play as like a little bit queer that was like that was we asked them to do that and now Emily Carey's not on Twitter either so these kids adults on the internet are negatively affecting the mental health of children on the internet and it's exhausting to watch happen uh, that also ties into our conversation today because we are talking about mental health once again. It's kind of funny because Sarah and I honestly just have these conversations personally a lot. <laughs> and we feel like we've covered mental health a lot on this podcast. But because Selena Gomez put out her recent documentary, My Mind and Me, detailing her own journey with mental health and discovering she had bipolar disorder. So a lot of the internet's been talking about this lately. We decided to watch the documentary. And as we were thinking about things, we also realized that a lot of touring musicians, a lot of musicians lately have been canceling entire tours, citing mental health. So we wanted to like dig into this a little deeper and see what exactly is going on. I thought it was really important because like Jenna said, while we do bring up mental health quite often in almost every discussion that we wind up having on this podcast, it's important to continuously reiterate how necessary it is to focus on your mental health and discuss it and be open about it because 
Another thing we mention all the time is that five-ish years ago, this wasn't a comfortable, normal conversation that people were having. Like, I remember in middle and even high school, like, when I would be going to therapy after school or whatever the case was, it would always be, like, one of those whisper words where it's like, oh, like, why can't you hang out today? Or why are you leaving practice early? It's like, oh, I have to go to my therapist. <laughs> it's like, well, no, not therapy. And I feel like this is this is a point that Jenna and I mention a lot. <laughs> and we never, we've never given concrete evidence as to like this being a real thing. So I thought since today's episode is specifically about mental health, we could kind of start off, give you guys some contextual info from some experts in the mental health space about how they have also noticed in the past like five to 10 years, how much better the mental health discourse has become. And uh, this this article that I found is a little bit of a bittersweet article because it was published on January 10th of 2020 on NBC News by Nicole Spector. And the title is Mental Health, How We've Improved and Where We Need to Do Better in 2020. Little did she Uh know nobody was Uh doing better with their mental health at all in the year of 2020. (laughs) No one was doing better. No one. It's 2022. I don't think we're doing better. I don't think we are. Oh, my God. And so Nicole spoke with Dr. Mark Van Omeren, who is a mental health expert at the World Health Organization. And he said, historically, when people have talked about mental health, they usually meant severe mental illness. But today, mental health can also mean common conditions like anxiety and depression. In more places, though it depends on where you are, people understand mental health simply as an aspect of overall health. Our awareness is shifting and mental health is coming out of the shadows. He continued on to say that I think about this a lot because it's absolutely true internationally. I see more and more governments getting interested in mental health care and more people talking about it. But unlike, say, the hashtag MeToo movement, which is also about a problem that has been in the shadows, there's not one thing that triggered awareness about mental health and caused everyone and caused everyone to see it as a huge thing which I think is very interesting because I think it was like a slow progressive movement forward of certain celebrities being more open about their disorders and different media and articles and all the sorts of things. And I think also just like in some way, the millennial and younger generations all kind of realizing like, oh, all of my friends are going to therapy after work (laughs) or or like therapy after school or whatever the case is like. (laughs) This entire conversation is really just thanks to Gerard Way. (laughs) 2006 Gerard Way, single-handedly responsible for changing mental health. Kind of a joke, but kind of not. It's all thanks to emo music. Like, it's it's so Uh, funny looking back now because I'm like, oh, yeah, I was just like your basic high school emo kid realizing I was mentally unwell because some dude in eyeliner informed me of such. For real. (laughs) We got emo music to thank a lot for. Uh, but to be fair to be fair i mean it is people who are willing to start the conversation that make it more normalized for everyone else so like all of this started somewhere it takes a lot of honestly a lot of people with public platforms people like gerard way like who are talking about this in interviews who are singing songs about how they feel that helps other people growing up realize that and i think that has to do with like a lot with our generation and maybe also our generation just being more perceiving of the world and the things we went through and how the world we're going through is not the same world that our parents went through and this is how slowly over the years we've been able to help normalize this conversation yeah and i think also it's just like it's always so interesting to think about the fact that 
literally women used to go sent, be sent to get lobotomies done when they were mentally unwell back in like the <laughs> whatever 17 1800s oh or if they, if, if they were hysterical they would send, be sent to the doctor and the doctor would use a vibrator on them oh my <laughs> god i literally cannot believe that is fucking real that is insane but with that being said, I just mean that the research side of the mental health conversation, like the doctor side, the expert side of it, there's been so much more work done to learn and understand that you don't have to go and get your frontal lobe taken out <laughs> to 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 feel better, um, that this is a real thing that is the same thing as your brain being sick is the same thing as like your lungs being sick or your heart being sick or whatever the case may be. And so it's it's a nice marriage of emo music and <laughs> doctors and people doing things like separately in their own sort of realms where the destigmatization is coming from people you look up to. And there's also destigmatization happening within the expert level of things because they're looking more into this and realizing like, oh, wow, we really don't fucking understand the brain. And I think that that's really interesting. And so with that being said, in this article, Nicole also spoke with Dr. Humphreys, who's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral science at Stanford and the former senior policy advisor of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. And he said that the best thing that happened is multiple sweeping federal laws putting mental health on the same level as physical health. So again, this ties back to like these experts focusing more on like the importance of mental health. And he referenced both the Mental Health Parity and Education Equity Act of 2008 and the Affordable Care Act of 2010, saying, I was at the White House at that time from 2009 to 2010, and it was so extraordinary for me to look and see an essential health care benefit defining mental health. It was the dream. Mm, yeah. Wow. So about 10 years ago, well, 12 years ago at this point, essentially, yeah. as we've been saying, since 2010, the conversation has grown a lot. Wow. It's really interesting, like putting it into that context of people knowing that the focus needs to shift more onto mental health and it really taking like a Democratic president because Obama was in office during this time to mm. make the focus be about this. Because no matter like what we can say about these parties, like the Democrats do tend to focus a bit more on health services and access to health services, even though like there's so many hurdles in the way from allowing them to do anything. But the fact that there was so much done that mental health services are accessible on Medicaid and Medicare now. Like when yeah, I true. was unemployed and I was on Medicare, like I could still get my mental, like I could still get my antidepressants. I could still get mental health help. And that was like the one thing that I was afraid of, of like not being able to seek that help. But I still could yeah. because of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, definitely. But I think this is like, we, cause we always talk about this, like, wow, things have really improved, but it's like this, like literally like law, law happened, law changed, yeah. you know? And so this is really sets the stage for what has come in the past 12 years. And also, especially the conversation we're seeing now. And I think, you know, there's countless studies. We're, we're a little close to pandemic still, but I feel like in years mm -hmm. to come, we're going to see a lot more studies being done about people and their mental health and this era of things yeah definitely because i mean i think at least at least for me my first main memory of an artist citing mental health and specifying specifically mental health being why they weren't performing was when zane 
went solo and he was canceling live shows due to his anxiety. Because if you guys listen to our early episodes about One Direction, there there always will be the tinge of annoyance in my voice about Zayn leaving One Direction to focus on his mental health and then putting out solo music very soon thereafter. <laughs> and a little bit of like, oh, okay, he's actually unwell when he started canceling shows, which sounds really fucked up on my behalf. I apologize to Zayn. <laughs> I personally would like to apologize. I personally would like to apologize to Zane. Um, Uh, But Olivia Blair for The Independent wrote an article in September of 2016 about how Zane was canceling his second show in three months due to anxiety and how his first show that was canceled was supposed to be for the Capital Summertime Ball in June of 2016 because he said that he was dealing with the worst anxiety of his career. And then he canceled a show in Dubai again because of his extreme anxiety and just like not being able to deal with solo performing and all that stuff and i mean like while zane hasn't done a bunch of interviews or anything like that like he he always has been like as open as he felt comfortable with discussing his anxiety and mental health and i think for 2016 like that was a really big step especially for somebody who was once in a boy band and was trying to give off kind of like whatever vibe he was trying to give off like (laughs) A cool stoner boy that he was trying to do. A and a bad boy. Yeah. Will. <laughs> you, you know, and so I think it took a lot, especially in 2016, to be so open about that. Because even as we learned in the Selena Gomez documentary, like 2016 was when she had to stop her tour, like her world big tour that she was doing for her mental health and just her health in general. But there wasn't a, a lot of information available then as there is now about like, what actually happened to her then and what she was going through and all that stuff because she's been more open with it in the years since. But that's because, again, the mental health conversation has just gotten bigger and easier to stomach and deal with for yeah, the man. I think, <laughs> like, also for celebrities, I mean, well, our entire podcast is basically dedicated to talking about this, but for celebrities, there's so much more stigma with any everything for them. Like, there's mm-hmm. less wait for like you to tell your friends like you were having mental health issues like of course like everyone's going through their own journey and it may not be easy but it's like your friends are probably going to accept you hoping that you have good friends (laughs) but uh it's like somebody like selena and like even with demi it's like there's so much public judgment and pressure and there was even a point in the doc where selena was like i think i'm gonna say it like i think i'm gonna tell everyone that i have bipolar disorder and her manager person whoever was with her was like we're here we support you but just know like there's a chance like people may look at you differently and it's kind of funny because this exactly mirrored the conversation in taylor swift's documentary about her (laughs) supporting a democratic candidate but selena was like well at the end of the day like if they're not going to support me and my mental health then i don't need them which is very true but there's just so much more pressure and stigma for artists to like be perfect mm-hmm. that I can see how them going to rehab or them going to a mental facility like to get the help they need. It's like so like even if the public knew she was in a, like a mental health facility, we don't necessarily know all the deals like that are going on until she chooses to share that with everyone. Well, I mean, the assumption from my memory of the assumption that there always was around when celebrities were like, oh, yes, I'm going to a facility. I'm going to rehab. It was always for quote unquote exhaustion, which was always code for drugs or alcohol. Whereas now 
it's like, oh, she like actually was exhausted. But nobody would have ever assumed that at that point where it's like, oh, yeah. she's like mentally exhausted. She needs help. Whereas instead they're like, oh, exhaustion. Sure, babe, whatever you say. But that point in the documentary about her wanting to put out her statement about her bipolar disorder and what her manager is saying also really resonated with me when I saw that happen, because I was just like, oh, shit. Because Selena was like, I wouldn't want to be going through a manic episode in the middle of some project and, like, not be able to explain it and everybody just think I'm a fucking asshole. And, them, and like, her team kind of being like, once you put it out there, like, it's out there, you're never going to forget that. And she's like, well, why the fuck would I want to work with people right. who aren't okay with me just being me anyway? Yeah. And I think also that just goes to show about like, I think that was also like less recent time. My one issue with the documentary was there was a loss of time jumping and I was kind of having a hard time following like what year things were happening in. But I don't think that that happened in like 2019. I think that was more of like a 2016, 2017 sort of thing that happened. So I think it's just that thing where it's like now we're like, okay, like everybody struggles with mental health issues. Like nobody's going to be like, oh, you're mentally unwell. I'm not going to work with you because that's also discrimination. (laughs) They can be sued. Fair, fair and valid point. So the overall takeaway for me from the Selena documentary, along with the documentary coming out, she also had a Rolling Stone cover story. And I thought the cover story actually was like super enlightening. I thought it honed Mm -hmm. in on a lot of things that weren't 100% clear to me in the documentary. But it really, to me, showed the weight of what she was actually going through. I just felt like in the documentary, it didn't feel as heavy, maybe as it like actually was. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Rolling Stone piece by Alex Morris in November 2022, she kind of detailed Selena's essentially episode in that when at one point when she was admitted to a facility, she was going through psychosis, which Mm -hmm. means you're like not fully present. Like she was hearing voices. She was like lashing out at her friends and family, which they mentioned in the documentary. But the way that it was, I think the way it was just described in writing was like, oh, this was like really serious and like really bad. And it, it just felt so much more intense to me reading it, putting it, putting it in writing. But the thing that like out of all of this, the takeaway was that Selena feels this pressure to use her platform no matter what. It just feels like she's not the type of person to like step away from her platform, even if she's focusing on herself. Because basically the way the documentary was laid out and the way that I've read it here is that as soon as she came out of being in the facility, she like wanted to like start working and wanted to start helping people. And like, she's been drawn to various like philanthropy projects. And it's just fascinating to me that like, in that point in her life, she's like still in recovery, but she's like, no, I have to use my platform. And I think it's really hard for, I think a lot of artists struggle with this. And I think we've talked about in various ways on this podcast of like not being 100% okay with who you are, but still like having to put out music or having to do something for your career. And you Mm -hmm. can just tell that art like isn't the best thing they've done because they don't really know who they are, what they're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's like the one thing that I came away from all of this uh really impressed with selena about is like her ability to use what she was going through as a way to like make her music better and try and like make the world better because she literally like teamed up with the white house and has been working with them to try and help with bringing mental health initiatives to schools and like teaching kids about mental health issues and like 
why they're important to focus on. And I just think that that's so powerful and incredible that that was something that she took away from what she went through of being like, if I had understood how mental health worked more when I was a kid, then maybe as I was growing up and dealing with this stuff, I wouldn't have just thought like, oh, maybe I'm an asshole. Instead, I would have been like, oh, maybe I'm like unwell. Because she was like, I literally just thought I was a mean person. And that was like really jarring for me. (laughs) Like, And I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) I felt like that too, Selena. (laughs) Don't worry, worry, honey. (laughs) We've all gone through that. (laughs) Oh, my God. And so actually like going off of Sarah, like talking about her partnering with the White House, like she did some Instagram lives during the pandemic. She's worked with the White House in various ways. But one of those Instagram lives, she talked to Surgeon General Vivek Murphy. And for Rolling Stone, he says, there's something very powerful about what she's doing, not just for other people, but for Selena herself. When you struggle with mental health concerns, it can erode your sense of self, your own self-esteem, and then it makes it harder and harder to reach out to other people. So you enter this downward spiral of loneliness and isolation service has the power to break that cycle so it's essentially like the giving to others which is philanthropic in nature helps you have a sense of community helps you have a sense of purpose helps you have a sense of connection with other people so it's crazy that like she's talking to the surgeon general and she she, they do the instagram live like on the documentary but she's like talking to the surgeon general like oh like how can you know people stay connected in this time of isolation and he's talking about service and he's talking about community and it just like really hits home with her because that's like everything she's trying to do and communicate and embody yeah and i think that that's like again the other thing that people don't realize because i think america especially is such like an individualistic country where everybody's always like me first me first that people forget how important community is and they don't really remember until they're back in that kind of realm where they're able to create community and all that stuff. And I think that that's also been an interesting thing that has sprung up during the pandemic is the ability to work remote and a lot of people kind of moving into smaller towns, more walkable towns, more community-based towns and realizing like, wow, my mental health is so much better because I'm building a community. Like I know my neighbors, I know the people around me. Like I feel so much better. Yeah, it is true that walkable city it, it i literally read an article in vice maybe I'll, I'll heck i'll link it in here for you guys there's an article in vice talking about there was a study done that literally having to commute everywhere and our cities that are so driven by cars may is making people more prone to isolation and depression there is part of me that's always in shock when anybody who works in government admits that how important community is to mental health and that also that mental health is important because i'm just like you're going to uproot america <laughs> I well, it's kind of. I mean, if we want to get really deep into anti-capitalist rhetoric here, you could argue that the way America is set up and the way capitalism is structured inherently divides people, which keeps them mentally unwell, which keeps money going to the healthcare industry, which we know is not very regulated by the government by the amount of price that they charge for prescriptions and the lack of general insurance in america so (laughs) there's that fun conversation too yeah there's there's so many layers to it and so it's just funny when like it it gets all meadow with like the government acknowledging it and i'm like oh shit we're becoming self-aware we're gonna (laughs) fix shit but another thing that i do want to point out from The documentary was that the writer Alex Morris for Rolling Stone also talked to the film director, 
whose name is Alex Kasheshian. And he said that once he began filming, he started to realize that there was a deeper documentary here about a young woman struggling to incorporate her diagnosis. She was fresh out of the mental facility and trying to reconcile the fact that she's still a patient. She's still in the earliest stages of her recovery, but desperately wants to use her platform for good and to talk about it. There's some tension there because obviously she's trying to be an example for others, but she's still not on the other side of it to speak. I thought this was really fascinating and this was kind of my point a little bit earlier is that a lot of times artists feel this pressure to like be the best versions of themselves and to use their platform and to like continuously put out music or like in Selena's case Mm -hmm. acting whatever it is. I guess it's twofold because like the Surgeon General just said it's therapeutic for her to do acts of service but at the same time she's she's like currently going through it while she's trying to help others but i think like in the documentary it was just very apparent that she's like she says so many times she's like i have this platform i might as well use it for good yeah and i think that's insane because it's like she essentially has been acting her entire life like her like since she was seven and it's like yeah if you've built this thing your entire life you have no other option because there's definitely points in the documentary where you could tell she she doesn't really say it but she's like if i could give all this up yeah she might but she's like but because i've been and because god has gifted me with this like i might as well use it yeah and i think that that's the one thing that's so impressive about her just coming from experience of having like horrific mental health days and like knowing that if I went and saw friends or if I exercised or did something, I would feel better. And just being like, no, that's not me. Whereas Selena is like literally going through not only having bipolar disorder, but also her lupus disease, which keeps flaring up and causing her issues. And she's still like going to Kenya and speaking to people and doing all of this work and never stop. Like the grind is never stopping with her because she's just like, I was given this gift of celebrity, of money, of access. I'm going to use my voice where I can. And I think it's really interesting because there's this really clear juxtaposition between like a-listers who mention or talk about their mental health and then touring musicians who mention and talk about their mental health and how that affects them and i think selena gomez is like a gold star a-list person of like dealing with mental health and using that to help others and like not just using it as like a way out or like a way where fans can be like oh you're just using this as an excuse because i mean Sean Mendes canceled his tour that he was supposed to go on and then like went to Miami and was seen on a yacht and his fans were just like, I thought you were mentally unwell. It's like, what? Do you want him to be in a padded fucking room? Like, okay, he's not, you're not he- allowed to go to Miami. Like, you're okay, mentally he- ill. <laughs> it's like, okay, he's not Selena Gomez, but any uh... person who's ever like, like he's not going about his mental health struggles in the same way that Selena Gomez is has gone about it of using her experience to help others but also it's like if anybody's ever had any form of depressive episode you know that being in sunshine being around water and like your friends usually helps i mean at least True. for me like th- yeah, that's that's yeah. the holy trio like yeah. ocean friends it's and just sunshine the, yeah well it's just the, like <laughs> you're not the right type of mentally unwell and therefore your mental unwellness is not valid it's just that type, type of thing Yeah, and I mean, in Sean's statement about having to cancel the North American, European, and UK dates of his tour, he said that he wanted to prioritize his mental well-being, and he wrote, I wasn't totally prepared for the toll that being back on the road would take on me. 
he said, I started this tour excited to finally get back to playing live after a long break due to the pandemic. But reality is I was not at all ready for how difficult touring would be after this time away. After speaking with my team and working with an incredible group of health professionals, it has become more clear that I need to take the time I've never taken personally to ground myself and come back stronger. And I mean, for most people, the pandemic was that time. But I think it's just funny when like A-listers and to a lot of us, like we're just like your whole life when you're not out and about being public is a life of luxury that none of us would ever have. And if yeah. most of most of us assume that if we had that, our mental health would be better. But I think in a lot of ways, having that like big house that you probably live in alone and like yeah. the constant thought of paparazzi being around and all that, like that is so isolating. And no matter what you can afford to do, there's always like that knowing that if you go on a beach vacation or you go somewhere like somebody's going to be there with a camera, like you're never truly allowed to be by yourself to think about what you're going through and all that stuff. And so you just have to have like this different perspective on that. But I think like the main point that I find really in like interesting and frustrating is just like the levels in which fame work where like Shawn Mendes canceling this stuff and then going to Miami is something that Shawn Mendes and a very small portion of people in the world can do. Because a lot of people, when they cancel tour for their mental health or whatever reason, that can mean that they're going to have to go back and work at a pub or yeah. do something else because it's like, okay, I just don't have it in me to like deal with the pressures of touring, the pressures of paying for touring, the pressures of like meeting my fans and keeping everybody happy and all of this stuff. Like my mental well-being is not great right now. And then there's so much pressure on me on top of that, of like everything that it comes with going on tour. And yeah. for artists like Shawn Mendes or even Zayn Malik or Selena Gomez or whomever, their tours, like a lot of that pressure isn't theirs only. It's like it's mostly their teams. Like they have teams of people that deal with all of those things. Yeah. And so, so it is interesting just looking at like this mental health conversation, how everybody from every level and layer of life is able to admit to struggling with mental health issues and be upfront and open and honest with it. But also like acknowledging that everybody from different backgrounds and like wealth levels is going to be able to deal with those things differently yeah, and understanding yeah. that and not taking it out on them because of that, because it's yeah. like the way Sean Mendez deals with his depression or whatever he, it is he's going through is going to look so much different than like how you or your friends, if you need to take time off work or whatever it is to deal with your mental health might look like if yeah. you even have the ability to take time off work to deal with your True. mental health. True. I'm definitely not going on Miami on a boat <laughs> when I took a day off work. No, but it but it's true. And we have a wonderful article in The Guardian, probably one of our favorite publications. They do such good reporting. But Laura Barton, September of this year, titled, This, is, this Should Not Be Normalized, Why Musicians Are Canceling Tours to Protect Their Mental Health. Um, and in this article, they talk to Joe Hastings of Help Musicians, which is a nonprofit organization in the UK that helps musicians with their mental health. And they said, like, basically across the board, they've seen a significant increase as compared to 
earlier pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. He says, after a protracted period of relative inactivity, there have been heightened numbers of people coming to us about stress, anxiety, and performance-related anxiety. And it goes on to say that the way artists are articulating their experiences wasn't this common even five years ago. So again, just another professional in the mental health slash music industry also saying the same thing. Artists are across the board talking about this way more. And I thought this article was just really fascinating because they talked to a lot of artists of different levels and they started it by talking to Yard Act, which is a Leeds post-punk band. And they said in January, their touring schedule had been relentless. Critical acclaim and a Mercury nomination had only amplified the pressure. Bigger bookings kept coming and the band was determined to play them all. And the singer James Smith says, That weekend we were playing a castle with the flaming lips. It was a dream come true. You feel ungrateful saying you can't do it. And so then it comes back to this music industry conversation of, well, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And if I don't keep up the yeah. momentum, people might forget about me and I might lose my chance to break my career. Yeah. And I think that that's the other issue and part of the point I was making before about how like A-listers in some senses have it a lot easier to make these decisions because while they, yes, they are going to hurt their, it's going to hurt their fans and like they won't be bringing in as much money that quarter or whatever the case is, like it's not going to affect them as negatively as it would for a band who makes all of their money from touring and merch sales because these artists have other forms of income and like they're already an established name and like when an artist is becoming established there is that scarcity mentality of just like i need to keep going until i physically cannot anymore no matter what the fuck it is i'm going through because if i don't someone else is going to come in and so it's like intrusive thoughts on top of intrusive yeah. thoughts and like mental health on top of mental health and there's so many layers to it and i feel like because these artists are smaller most of the times these conversations aren't really being are, aren't really happening about them like they are yeah, like yeah. we're not seeing countless news articles about like wet leg or sam fender or whomever it is canceling their tours whereas we're seeing we do have like countless news articles about Shawn Mendes canceling his tour to the point where there was like, oh, Shawn Mendes cancels his tour. Oh, fans are mad that Shawn Mendes canceled his tour. Shawn Mendes responds to fans that are mad that he canceled his tour. And it's like Shawn Mendes just got three different types of article written about him following this, whereas like Wet Leg are lucky or this band Yard Act would be lucky to have even one article mention the fact that they couldn't go on tour and like maybe share like, oh, you can donate money or buy merch to help them during this time. Going going back to the point of a lot of these musicians, if they're not touring, they have to take up other jobs because yeah. they're not at a point where this is sustainable. They also mentioned that this week Arlo Parks became the latest canceling a run of U.S. shows, explaining how the relentless grind of the past 18 months had left her, quote, exhausted and dangerously low. And her decision also came after Sam Fender's announcement that he was canceling his U.S. tour, supporting Florence and the Machine. And he says, it seems completely hypocritical for me to add advocate the discussion of mental health and write songs about if I don't take time to look after my own mental health. And I think that that's what's so important, again, is like staying true to yourself is the most important thing. And like taking care of yourself is the most important thing. And it's so hard to come to that understanding, to come to that decision of being like, well, shit, like I've made my whole entire platform off of the fact that I think like, especially in Sam Fender's case, who we've talked about when we did our like men in music and mental health episode a while ago about how he's always been like a very prominent 
like advocate for men to go to therapy and talk about their mental health and realize that like punching shit isn't the way to deal with things and you should talk about your problems and admit to them and talk to your friends about what they're going through. And so for somebody to be that aware of how important mental health is, but then also to be like, I got to keep going because my career is like on this all time high and being like, Oh, actually like I'm going to burn out and it could like, it could honestly kill me if I don't stop. And it 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 takes a lot of strength to be able to admit that to yourself, especially in this kind of industry. But also I think that we shouldn't have to say like, Oh, it takes a lot of strength to admit that and do that in this kind of industry. I think that it should be the norm. Like you shouldn't feel forced to tour. I mean, the industry pre-pandemic was bad about this stuff, right? Yeah. Like, it was, like, honestly, I can't even think of an artist. I mean, I, Selena, that would be the example. But, like, yeah. I, personally, an artist that I listen to, I can't think of an artist that canceled a tour due to mental health issues pre-pandemic. It's, like, a sin in the industry. Yeah. It's, like, canceling a tour? Unheard of. Like, you don't do it. But then this article also mentions that the industry is desperate to spring back to life after a devastating pandemic with turbocharged touring and promotional schedules to make a perceived lost time. And I think that's what a lot of these artists are facing right now. It's like, okay, well, like, you're exciting right now. Let's just hit the road. Like, let's just go, go, go and, like, build you up now that, like, we're allowed to tour. We can tour. But it's also, like, we've been in two plus years of a pandemic and, like, maybe not everyone has really worked through their own mental health in this time period. Like, a lot of traumatic shit happens, and if you aren't, like, actively going to therapy, then, like, probably gonna leave some, like, traumatic kind of PTSD-type feelings in the back of your brain. Yeah, definitely. And I think also there is probably that part of these artists' minds who are, like, my friends who are my touring crew didn't have any work. Like, they weren't making any money yeah through what what they've trained to do throughout this pandemic like i don't want to let them down so it's a whole other level from before where it was just like oh like i'm gonna let my fans down i might not bring money in it's also like wow my friends have been out of work like having to work at like home depot or wherever for the past like two years to make money and now i'm gonna have to cancel this tour because i can't deal with it there's so much pressure from so many different directions and nobody is meaning to put that pressure onto them except for maybe fans because uh we're all assholes to our favorite artists most of the time but in the grand scheme of things it's like there's there's so much going on in your head because i mean even just thinking about like as a regular person like when you need to cancel things or like if your company makes you feel like taking sick days is like something that you shouldn't be doing like you feel like shit when you tell them like oh i can't do this even though you know that like it's your right to take a day off or whatever the case is like there's so many other consequences or whatever coming at you that you're like what do i do now because i know what i should do but i don't know but i don't know how people are going to react to what i should be doing yeah yeah lots of expectations i mean so to your point about all of this about the expectations of people and the expectations on musicians and the stuff that like we don't think about as music consumers santi gold had to cancel an entire u.s tour before it even started literally saying i can't afford this tour like they're telling me i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this tour and i'm not gonna i'm literally gonna lose money doing this and she has three kids three kids at home and it's like why the fuck would she spend the time and the fucking energy 
to come back and make zero dollars and have three kids at home to feed like that's fucking insane and so she canceled a tour she ended up doing a really long interview with Aaliyah gillespie in october of this year like again all this is happening at the same time It, it was really enlightening and she talks like in depth a lot about many many of the issues breaking down a lot of what's going on so definitely recommend you guys read this after if you want to find out more again just talking about the fact that like post-pandemic like our lives are different than they were before like things are generally more expensive and she goes like talking about a lot of the bottom line stuff saying it affects the bottom line too because if you're not doing enough shows on tour you're not able to pay pay for the tour so there's gas and basically just with the inflation alone that eats up profit but then not to be able to put on as many shows well that adds to it we put on anchor dates on tours that are festivals or private gigs so that would offset because i'm selling i don't know max maybe four thousand capacity venues which is not small but it's not like i'm going to be rolling in dough and then a lot of the promoters are having a hard time so the guarantees are getting smaller and they're offering us less money but the prices are going up fans can't afford the ticket prices we all know about that mm-hmm. it's just a perfect storm and you're heading out depleted you put out a record basically for free it costs a lot of money to make the record videos cost money marketing costs money but you put it out and you give it away for free and then it's like go find yourself some way to eat insane insane like this her this article was horrific this interview was like literally yeah. horrific and like what music musicians are dealing with today yeah it was so sad to read this article because it's like we know how much us as fans love music and just imagine that times 10 because it's like the artists are the ones creating this music and that music means so much to them and getting to share it with their fans like all of that is like a very healing incredible experience and it's like imagine somebody's like yeah you've worked your whole entire life to become a touring musician to have enough success where you don't have to have other jobs like you can make a salary touring being an artist whatever and then that gets taken away from you to the point where you're like how the fuck do i keep even doing this and like that disappoints you that disappoints your fans that disappoints like a whole array of people but also when you look at it logistically speaking it's like none of this fucking makes sense because nobody wins in the end it's yeah, like yeah, yeah we all have that like post-concert high for like what five hours like if you're lucky it lasts for a day and like oh at the end of the day you're like oh shit like thanks to Ticketmaster being a fucking conglomerate i spent 175 dollars on what should have been a 30 dollar concert ticket because Ticketmaster raises prices based off of how many people are sitting on Ticketmaster at that time when you bought your fucking ticket and then it's like oh i spent all this money on gas and then i spent money on food and i spent money on this and then it's like okay the artist also spent money on gas and food and so the, the artist has all of those fees and more on top of them to deal with and they just want to do their job <laughs> and they they can't and nobody's nobody's trying nobody's trying to help them to be able to do their job and it's just so upsetting because on top of all of that it's like they also have to deal with the mental health struggles uh that we're all dealing with from the trauma of the pandemic whatever mental health issues they already had and everything else and it's like all of this can only negatively affect their mental health but to positively affect their mental health they have to not do the thing that they want to do like it's so ass backwards i know i know well santi gold says this too that a lot of this is kind of fucked because of the streaming industry because Mm. 
when we stopped paying for music, musicians lost out on a lot of money, a lot of money. And I will say, you know what? To K-pop's credit, this is the one thing they do, right? Is they know how to sell albums. They know how to move some units. But Santi Gold says, I don't know any other job that you have to pay to do your job and end up in debt. MLMs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I'm thinking about like actors. They get paid up front. No, I, know. I just think it's, I just think it's funny that being a musician is essentially like being in an MLM. They're like, oh, you have talent. You want to sell that talent? Give us money and take out a loan with us and like spend the rest of your life paying that back. Maybe you'll make a cent if you do well. Like you could get a thousand Teslas and a mansion, but like only so many people do that. Well. It's literally like a fucking it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah, it, well, it kind, it kind of is. But I was just, like, thinking in relationship to, like, movie stars. It's, like, movie star actors get paid from the production companies. And the production yeah. companies either have deals with people like Netflix and they get their money from advertisers and subscribers. Or they go to cinema. And they get, yeah. they make money on ticket prices. And it's, like, yeah. what what is the equivalent of that model for music? And I think we lost that when streaming came in because we don't pay for albums. We don't pay for music. Yeah. So it's, like, literally the art, the art that musicians are putting out, we do not pay for. We do yeah, not pay for music penny. videos. We do yeah. not pay for streaming. We do not pay. Unless you buy a physical copy of their album, we directly do not pay artists. Unless you buy their merchandise. Yeah. Or their tour tickets, but we already know how much goes into the tour. And that speaks so much of, like, just the drastic change in, like, even the amount of albums, the number one album even sold in, like, 2010 in comparison to now. Yeah. It's so drastically different. Like, like, when NSYNC and Britney were breaking records, they were selling millions of copies. And I'm pretty sure when Machine Gun Kelly got a number... It was, like, 119,000 albums. Yeah, it was, like, super low when Machine Gun Kelly got We're mentioning him because he's the only person we're going to (laughs) remember. Yeah, we're mentioning him because he's, like, yeah, the only, like, not A-lister, so like kind of alicia but not celebrity who like told like said how many records this is this this is just fried into our brain sorry guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> from our MGK Kelly, days <laughs> when he but it's like i think like i mean like taylor swift can you know taylor swift jake adele like yeah they can move copies but like machine gun kelly he wasn't up against anyone he had so like less than two hundred thousand copies that's nothing that's like it's yeah. insane how nothing that is yeah and, like, addition to all of this, like, financial debt that you go into, Santigold did also bring up something I thought was really interesting about, like, the emotional toll that it takes on you going back to mental health. Like, it's not just a financial toll. She says, after, she says, touring is basically crisis management, like, getting to the venue, like, anything can happen. You just have to be prepared to handle conflicts. But then you go on stage and you're, like, screaming hello to 30,000 people. It's a very different requirement energetically, spiritually, mentally, and you have to carry that night after night after night five shows a week at least and Mm. that's assuming you have a crowd that's interested in what you're doing imagine having a crowd where like you're not the headliner you're like the opener and the crowd is like not giving you that energy back that's it's sad sad y'all yeah it's so sad like that can be so disheartening to artists where it's like they get invited out on to massive tours 
and the crowd doesn't know them. Sometimes the crowd doesn't even show up until after. Like they'll yeah. literally like call the venue to find out like, oh, when does the headliner go on, etc. I remember growing up going to emo concerts and there were fucking five bands on the bill. Yeah. And it yeah. used to be that the reason they did that is it helped get people to the shows and it helped yeah. sell tickets. And sometimes those bands even had to pay to be on that tour, but that's a whole other like very complicated yeah. and messy discussion. But it's like, that's why we had openers was because it would like bring in more money and now it like literally doesn't like i feel like it would be more like as awful as it sounds don't quote me on this i'm not an expert in touring but i feel like it would be more financially stable for artists to not have touring bands honestly maybe because even just thinking about like the personal stress i was going through like thinking about buying a ticket to see florence and the machine just to see sam fender number one i would have had to have spent like a hundred and forty five dollars to get like a crappy seat to see an artist that I really love open for an artist I don't listen to. Like number two, it's like, okay, I'm paying that much money just to see an opener because I would have left. But on top of that, it's like, will I even get a ticket? And so it's like, okay, yeah, it's great for his career that he gets to do a really big tour like that in the US and whatever. And like, it'll expand his name and everything like that. So as a fan, it's like, okay, I want to support that. But also it's like, the, for the fans of the openers, when they op- when they do open for those big tours, again, it's like that mental health gymnastics of being like, okay, seeing Sam Fender will be great for me personally, but spending all this money to see Sam Fender play an eight song set when last year I paid yeah. $30 to see him pay a for- play like a 14 song set in like a yeah. venue where I could see him. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a whole thing. I mean, I guess technically going back on my word, the reason that artists also tour with bigger artists is that so they can get more fans. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, like a lot of the times though, like especially the artists we grew up seeing when they were like that, like four to five band tours, it's like they all came with their own fan bases. They all had very similar music. They were all not that much bigger than each other. Yeah. And so it very much felt just like an event. It was like an evening out. It was like a whole thing. Whereas now it's like, when you go see like Harry Styles, it's like, yes, he has one opener and these openers are artists that Harry likes. And so therefore you're going to go support them because our parasocial relationships with Harry are like that fucking unhinged. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, you might not like that music. You might not what, like whatever the case is. And that artist might have their own fans that doesn't want to shell out the money for a Harry Styles concert or like spend the time to deal with that because it's like, Blood true. Orange is going to have completely different fans than Harry than Harry this would. This is true. This and is it's true. just like it's a, it's just a whole other thing. So it's like okay, yeah, that did definitely gain Blood Orange new fans. But also, it's like, are you also not excluding your already existing fan base? It's like, it's, there's lots of levels yeah. to it. Yeah, uh, and it, that's a completely different discussion, I think. But I, it is the interesting thing of just thinking like all of these things, like money and mental health, go very much hand in hand. Yeah your ability to like have money make money etc have a lot to do with like how you feel mentally because we need money to pay rent and buy food yeah <laughs> exactly baby. so gotta love capitalism gotta love <laughs> there's there's lots of layers here that tie all of this in together which is upsetting and i guess in some ways like nice that like you can wrap up so nicely like why these things affect each other so much but it's also just like it's just so much to deal with especially when i think and like this could be a bold statement to make but i think that music 
is more of a universally understood thing than like cinema or media mm-hmm. in that in that regard yeah. like cinema or like television etc because it's like everybody can enjoy music at different levels but even if you're not like a diehard fan it's cool to go see an artist in concert yeah. whereas like if you're not a diehard fan of like going to the movies like you might you'll you'll pay for like HBO Max but you're not going to pay to go to the movie theater yeah. and it's like a very different thing whereas like music universally seems to be more of like a moment you like to experience with friends or like alone but in person like with that yeah. artist and so that on top of that it's it's weird when like music is like a mental health remedy for a lot of people and yet music and the touring industry so negatively affects the artist's mental health in a lot of ways because of how fucked it is yeah well i mean and not just the touring industry like we're talking about people canceling tours but it's like the expectation to post on tiktok the expectation to be a tiktok expert like to be likable on the internet and like the streaming situation like it's just all around like a really bad deal of cards for musicians if you're not an a-lister and bringing it back to the guardian article they also talked to Music journalist Ian Winward, who's the author of Bodies, a book that offers insight into the unhealthy demands of the music industry. And one thing that he said is that there's a fear among musicians that if they ever complain, audiences with, quote, proper jobs outside the music industry will think that they are ungrateful. But it's also worth remembering one thing. If an artist has risen to a point where people know their name, they are already tough, they're already resilient. So if they're telling you that they're broken, believe them. That's scary. That's heavy. Yeah, that is really heavy. But I think that that mindset is so scary and horrible to me because it's like, it's just that that constant want to take people down that seem to have more than you or seem to live like a more privileged or interesting life than you. And it's like when we talk about like tabloid culture or when fans like bullied Jessie Nelson about her body and weight and how she dressed and all those sorts of things and other artists like that where it's like these people think like oh they're impervious because they're famous and have money and have success and they do something that i wish i could do but like i don't have the skill set to do that and it's like no everybody we're all still human at the end of the day and i think that that's like the most important takeaway from this conversation and this idea and this this focus on mental health going forward is like at the end of the day we are all human And this is something that we always need to be reminded of because I think even sometimes like in a nine to five job, even like I feel like there's so often like bosses and whatever forget that people are human. People are going through stuff like if somebody's workload is not as impressive as it once was, like rather than reprimand them, maybe ask, like, are you okay? Like, what are you going through? And I think that this is where the mental health conversation needs to be able to get to. It needs to get to that point where people need to realize like, oh, if somebody I care about or whatever, if no matter how privileged I think their life is or how good they are at their job or whatever the case is, if all of a sudden they're not doing that thing, like maybe think about what the hell could be going on in their life that all of a sudden like they're less active on the internet or not giving as much in their work or whatever the case is. And I feel like that's always like the most important takeaway from all of this is like yeah. remembering at the Living end of the day. Living your life with more compassion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so important. Yeah, that is really important to just have compassion for yourself and others. And kind of like one final thing I wanted to end on was this idea that 
drug, sex, and rock and roll also came along with a lot of mental health. So again, this journalist, Winward, he was describing an interview with a dope, sick Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, clearly in no fit state to face the media, and hearing Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro recounting the time that he, quote, collapsed in Toronto airport, placed on a gurney, wires sticking out of him, but still went on to play two Coachella shows because, quote, he had trained himself to believe that the band's career rested on two concerts, which I think is insane, but it just like sparked this thought in my head that was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's probably why they were always on drugs and like drinking and there were so many health problems and so many people died so young in that era because they all had mental health issues and nobody knew how to deal with it. Nobody knew what they were. Like, it's like, oh, I'm feeling like this. What is what is this? Like the terms like having anxiety and depression and that sort of stuff were like no, no words where it's like, oh, she's hysterical, you know, like that sort of thing where it's like rather than being like oh she's like her mental health is bad it's like she's right. hysterical or whatever right, the case right, is so right, there's just right. not they did, there wasn't just they didn't have the, the same language yeah. yeah there wasn't the same language to understand and there wasn't but but also i think more importantly there wasn't the same access to healthcare that there is now and this is yeah. why this conversation is so different but and like because i was like oh well it's just like rock and roll like it's just the era of like drug sex and rock and roll but it's like no like it was that era because they didn't know what else to do with themselves like so yeah. i don't know it's kind of interesting just thinking back on it that way yeah definitely and i think with all that being said like just remember like there is only one of you like if you run yourself down, your battery is going to run out and you just you need to remember to take care of yourself at the end of the day. And that if you need to take care of yourself at the end of the day, so do your favorite artists and just give them a bit of leeway in that direction. If they do cancel tours or whatever, like it completely makes sense to be sad when you thought you were going to get to see your favorite artist and then all of a sudden you can't. But I think just remember that like they're going through shit just like you are and we've all dealt with like <laughs> we've all dealt with an extended trauma of the I COVID-19 mean, pandemic yeah I mean on top of like humanizing artists and treating people with kindness <laughs> uh all our favorite Harold styles I think it's just the, the conversation here is interesting because of the trend of things that we've seen happening yeah. and like how we're gonna see this change and affect the music industry and the music industry affect the mental health and like all this how we're going to see this going forward yeah agreed 100 percent. so if you guys have any thoughts or feelings or comments on anything that we discussed today and would like to further converse with us you can do so by sliding into our dms on social media i guess maybe just instagram at this point we'll see where twitter's at but we're at name three songs on all platforms or if you have any personal beef or positive thoughts you'd like to share with us personally you can find me at sarah underscore fagan and jenna at jenna underscore million so thanks for joining us on this episode of name three songs and until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to selena gomez don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name three songs.com 